0: God, open up our hearts and our minds that we might hear your word in this place today. Let your Holy Spirit illuminate the pages of scripture for us. Amen. Our gospel reading this morning comes from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 6, verses 20 through 31. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Our epistle reading comes from the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 11 through 23. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe in all, This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our Redeemer. This morning, as we celebrate All Saints Sunday, we remember our connection to one another and to all Christians across time and space. It is a particularly bittersweet one over at St. Andrew's this morning as we both mourn the passing of and celebrate the new life of Sam Dewar, who left this side of creation this week to be with God. Next week, we will have more full than usual pews here at Emsworth Presbyterian because of the 150th anniversary celebration and the joint worship service between the two congregations. And both of these celebrations have something in common. They tend to point us to what was. And that's okay in certain contexts. We need a rearview mirror. But it can be easy to become discouraged by dwindling numbers in churches around the country or to reflect with an unhealthy dose of nostalgia on how things used to be to wish saints gone by back into our midst. Sometimes we get stuck looking into that rearview mirror and we forget to look at the windshield so that we don't drive into oncoming traffic or a tree. The reason we like looking at the past is because it's a way to say, we made it through that. If we're feeling particularly down, we can look to the happier times and remember the goodness that we saw. It makes us feel better about uncertainty in the future because, hey, we got this far. We've had good times before, and we can have them again. So it's comfortable, especially when given days like All Saints Day or an anniversary celebration, to look only to the past, to stay insular, staring only at ourselves. It can be easy to sit in our comfort and not worry about anyone else outside of these walls to focus on keeping ourselves comfortable. But we forget too easily the fact that it is not just those of us sitting here in this congregation this morning who are worshiping together. One of my commentaries shared a great story. The Canadian preacher John Gladstone tells the story of a young English clergyman who served a small congregation. It was his custom at evening services to administer the sacrament of the Lord's Supper to any parishioners who remained at the conclusion of the service. One night, so few stayed that he questioned whether the sacrament should be observed, but he decided to proceed. In the midst of the liturgy, he read the part of the great prayer that says, Therefore, With the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify thy glorious name. He read it again, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. And then he prayed, God forgive me, I did not realize I was in such company. Regardless of how many of us are sitting here this morning, Christ's glory is proclaimed. We do not have a monopoly on praising the Lord. We do not have a monopoly on God's protection and promises. We are here for a much larger purpose than our own comfort. According to New Testament language, all God's followers are considered saints. And all saints are connected to one another through God. Which means when a black church in Mississippi burns at the hands of fear and racism, we are called to weep and to cry out with them. When the country is angry and fearful and divided by mean divisive politics, we are to champion unity and love. When another saint is hurting or struggling, we are to offer them all we have to help them back up again. When someone says something terrible to us, we are to respond in loving words and kindness. One of my favorite Saints who has passed on to the other side of creation is Saint Joe of the North Side. He died almost exactly three years ago, and everyone at our home church greatly mourned the loss of gentle Saint Joe. At first look, most people would cross the street to avoid him. He had two long, wild braids of hair on his head and an out of control beard. He rarely showered, if ever, and he wore ragged clothes held up by a rope belt. He could be seen walking all over the north side of Pittsburgh, and many people knew him to see him. He was often referred to as Crazy Joe or Wild Joe. But nearly every Sunday morning at 11, he was at church. He sat in the back, often alone, because he knew how people looked at him. And yes, Joe had some problems, but when it came down to it, he also had a heart of gold. He once spotted our pastor from across Market Square on a Saturday morning and rushed over to him with a shoebox. He had an injured pigeon, just a dirty street pigeon, (laughs) in this box, and he begged the pastor to take it home for his wife to take care of because Joe knew that he himself couldn't make this bird well again. I do not remember how that story ended, to be honest, but I do know that the pastor did not take this dying pigeon in a shoebox home with him, and that Joe's compassion for God's creation shone in that moment. One Christmas Eve, when Gloria was no more than three or four, she sat in the back of the sanctuary on the floor with Joe, chatting with him and worshiping with him. And it was one of the holiest things I've ever witnessed. Two saints, one old and ragged, one new and innocent, worshiping together on the holiest night. Anyone who gave Joe the time to listen knew what a gentle, loving soul he was. Anyone who stopped judging him by his wild appearance knew that he loved God with all his heart. He had some serious Problems in his life, but he sought God with everything that he had to offer. You never know who the saints really are. You don't know who is offering all that they have to offer. The less you have to give up, the easier it is to offer all that you have, physically, emotionally, financially. And the more you have to give up, the harder it is to offer all that you have. My three-year-old didn't have much to offer other than friendship to another one of God's children, and she gave it freely. Joe didn't have much to offer either, but he offered all that he had. On All Saints Day, we celebrate our connection to other Christians across time and space because division and isolation are counter to the gospel. Judgment and putting people in categories is counter to the gospel. Deciding either consciously or subconsciously that someone else is in or out is counter to the gospel. You never know if the saints will look like Teresa or Martin Luther King Jr. or Sam Dewar or if they'll look like Joe. And so today we celebrate how wonderful and diverse and dangerous and uncomfortable and surprising this unity to one another can be. The account of the Beatitudes in Matthew is the more well-known wording, but here in Luke we see the same trend. Jesus looks at the unjust way the world is working around him. He finds the places in which the world has settled into a pattern that is counter to the way of God's kingdom. And then he turns them on their heads. He tells us in no uncertain terms that we have no right to judge who the saints are and aren't. Who will receive the kingdom of God? The poor. Who will receive ultimate satisfaction? Those who are hungry now. Who receives the gift of laughter for eternity? Those who have suffered sorrow now. Those who are hated and bullied and treated poorly and pushed to the margins and looked at with suspicion and disgust are the very ones who will be more richly blessed than we can imagine. And these are uncomfortable words from Jesus for those of us who have what we need, who are well-fed, who laugh more than we cry, and who are well-liked and supported and part of the religious majority in our homeland. We can almost write this scripture off as just being comfort for those having a hard time. But then, just as we're beginning to squirm in our seats and make excuses, Jesus turns up the heat on us even more. Those of you who have what you need now and are sitting content in your comfort, those who have plenty to eat and much to laugh about, enjoy it while you have it because it's got an expiration date. Popular now? Watch out. Because those who sell their souls to the false gods of power and popularity, like the false prophets of old did, have nothing waiting for them when their time here runs out. And if that doesn't feel like a punch in the gut, you might want to go read it again later in your alone time with God. Jesus meant this to be quite uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. we have no way of knowing who is really following God with all they can offer. Therefore, we must treat all people as though they are or will one day be united to us and to God in Christ. All people are beloved by God. When other people are poor or hungry or full of sorrow, we cannot ignore them. They are a beloved part of God's kingdom. We are to reach out to them, even if we don't like them, Revenge? Not in God's kingdom. Taking back from those we perceive us slight from? Not if you're going to take Jesus' words seriously. He's not talking in metaphor or hyperbole here. While Jesus does sometimes speak in confusing metaphors and parables, that is not the case here. He's being quite direct. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn around and offer the other one. If someone takes your coat, ask them if they need a shirt too. Give to everyone who asks, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would want them to do to you. And let's face it. We all do a pretty lousy job of that most of the time, because this is not easy to do. Nobody wants to feel taken advantage of. Nobody wants to feel like human justice has not been served. Nobody just naturally wants to give up hard-earned assets to someone else. All of us want to feel like the people around us like us. But the homeless man ignored on the side of the road by Christian and atheist alike is blessed is considered by God, is not forgotten by the very maker of the universe, even though we walk on past, shake our heads in disgust, assume we know why he's sitting there on the side of the road. Our Jewish sisters and brothers still mourning a year later over the horrific massacre of 11 of them during their sacred worship time. God extends comfort to them. They are considered by God, not forgotten Even though many of us haven't thought much about that tragic day until this anniversary got closer, God has not forgotten. Not for one moment. The earthquake or typhoon, victims on the other side of the planet, who we say we'll pray for, we maybe send some money to, but ultimately leave to fend for themselves, they are blessed. Considered by God, they are not forgotten by the very maker of the universe even though we carry on with our safe, comfortable lives with hardly a tear, we tisk, tisk at what a shame it is they are without food while we gather around overstuffed tables and throw away entire meals worth of leftovers. There is no if they are Christians in this passage. No, love your Christian enemies. Just love your enemies. No, don't hit other Christians back when they hurt you just don't seek revenge ever give generously and even ridiculously not just to other christians but to everyone we are to love everyone as god loves everyone it's dangerous and ridiculous and really 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 hard to do and it's completely backwards to what the world says we're supposed to be acting like because our inclusion in god's kingdom is not dependent on doing all the right things We cannot assume we can look at a person and judge how worthy they are or how saved they are. You cannot know what God has planned for other people. You cannot truly know what is in their heart or what will one day be in their heart. You have no idea what their resources or story are or what they are really offering to God. We saw a beautiful movie last night on a bit of a whim, and it was the best whim we've acted on in a while. We went to see Maleficent, Maleficent, uh, Mistress of Evil. It's the sequel to a live-action spin on Sleeping Beauty that came out a few years ago, in which Maleficent, the dark fairy who cursed Princess Aurora, also known as Sleeping Beauty, is not as clearly evil or one-dimensional as she is made out to be in the original. And the parents of the princess, as well as the charming prince's parents in the sequel, are not so wholesome as they are made out to be originally. And in this sequel, which I highly recommend, but watch the first one first, someone starts a war between the fairy kingdom and the human kingdom. They want the resources that the other has, so they purposely spread fear about other throughout the kingdom to whip everyone into a frenzy For war. Princess Aurora and her true love, Prince Philip, are as wholesome and innocent as they are in the original, and it's their goodness and kindness that ultimately saves everyone in both the human kingdom and the fairy kingdom. As it is a Disney movie, I do not feel like this is a terrible spoiler to say that ultimately everyone learns that the other is not the terrible evil they were taught to think they were. They learn to see that they are not so different after all, and that caring for one another in spite of their differences ultimately makes them stronger. At the very end, one of the characters says something very powerful. We are not defined by who we are, but by who we love. Let us here be defined not by who we are, and especially not by who we were, but by who we love. And let's honor those who've gone before us by continuing into the future, using that rear-view mirror only as reference, not as guidance. And let us continue God's mission of love and unity and acceptance in the world, lest we miss out on the holy moments with saints like Joe. Amen.